here in, in 3 John. Of course, there's just one chapter in 3 John, but 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Uh, and, you know, th- this is really a great verse because it covers a lot of material. Uh, but he starts out talking about beloved, so it's written to the church, right? Because aren't we a member of the beloved, right? So we're the beloved uh, children of God. He said, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. So, you know, this is the Apostle John desiring these two things more than anything else that you prosper and be in health. Uh, and so, uh, and he, then he ties those together. He says, even as thy soul prospereth. Uh, and, of course, your soul isn't made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And really, you know, the soul, your soul, what you think primarily when, when it talks about your soul, it's uh, depending on the context. Uh, oftentimes it's talking about what you think, right? In the context of this one, it's really talking about what you, what you think. It's also got your mind, your, your will, and your emotions there as well. Uh, but how you think has a direct impact on the amount of prosperity and health that you live in. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of folks have uh, what you call pro- uh, poverty mentality. You know, they think poor, not, not so much about just uh, anything in particular, but just, you know, they're, they're unworthy or they're not good enough for God's blessings. You know, that's really a poverty mentality. And... Um, you know, uh, the apostle is telling us here that his desire is that we prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Uh, and so to the extent that your soul prospers really will be the level that you prosper both in your, your financial areas of your life and how much of the, the uh, health of God that you live in. Uh, and, um, you know, don't we all desire to live a healthy life? Uh, you know, everybody generally has a desire to be prosperous and has a desire to live a healthy life, but then their mind is just full of, of doubts or full of, of insecurities or full of, you know, I'm not worthy or full of, you know, things like that, that, that hinders them from achieving their desires. So, you know, I think most Christians probably desire above all things to prosper and be in health, uh, but then they haven't done the work many times to, to get their minds uh, renewed to the Word of God and think like the Word of God thinks. Uh, so that they can achieve their desires. Amen. Uh, you know, one of the, the uh, toughest things is to go through life desiring things and never obtain them. And, and I don't mean just terrible things, you know, like I want, you know, the biggest house in the world or anything like that. I'm just talking about desiring, you know, to live a, live a life that's free from sickness and disease and free from uh, poverty and destruction. Uh, those are not unreasonable things to, to desire. Uh, and uh, uh, the Apostle John is telling us here that a lot of it has got to do with your thinking. You know, how do you think? What do you think about? Uh, you know, how do you think about the word? How do you think about God? You know, when when uh, um, when you think about God and it comes to healing, you know, do you think that uh, maybe God doesn't want to heal you? Maybe there's a reason why you're not being healed. Maybe God wants you to be sick to teach you something. Uh, and hopefully around here that you don't think that. But many, many in the church have thoughts like that. Well, maybe this is given to me to teach me something. Maybe this sickness and disease is here to to keep me humble or to keep me, um, you know, pious or, you know, whatever the thoughts are. And that will limit then how much of the prosperity and health that they live in because uh, their thinking needs to be adjusted to line up with the Word of God. Uh, and, you know, really, the more that you can think like the Word of God thinks, the freer that you are in every area of your life, the happier you are in every area of your life. You know, it's really a tough thing for 
Christians who think that God is really out to get them and God is, you know, punishing them and God is doing this against them. God is doing that against them. And they come into church and, and uh, have to raise their hands and worship the Lord. You know, that conflict will be there that, uh, you know, you do it, but, you know, you, you have a hard time reconciling why am I worshiping God at the same time that he's punishing me in, in these areas for things that I don't even know that I've done, you know. And, and of course, um, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, thoughts like that that need to be corrected in our minds. You know, God does correct us. He does rebuke us. He does chastise us, the Bible talks about. Uh, but if you go back and look at uh, the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, did he ever chastise anybody? Uh, many times he chastised them. Uh, he chastised the disciples. He chastised the Pharisees. He chastised the Sadducees, the Herodians, you know, uh, all the above. I mean, there wasn't a, even even Herod. He called Herod that fox, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but how did Jesus chastise people throughout his entire ministry? Did he ever put sickness and disease on him, anybody? Did he ever cause anybody to have an accident and, you know, uh, kill their mule or, you know, shoot their dog or cat or cause disease to come into their livestock? Or uh, did he ever do anything like that at all? Did he kill their children, you know, to teach the parents, you know, how to straighten up? And no, what did he do every single time? He used his word, Amen. Uh, and so if if that's how the Lord rebuked people and chastised people when he was in the in the earth and in ministry, I mean, he was physically there. He could have done he could have physically done something to them. Right. He could have done a lot of things to them, cause them to lose their jobs or, you know, to be sick for a week or two or, you know, lose their eyesight or, you know, just something. Right. Just uh, uh, anything that, that uh, uh, we can see how the Lord wants to operate. Uh, but he was really consistent, right? He was consistent every single time he rebuked him with his word. Uh, and, and, and so if that's how the Lord Jesus operated when he was on the earth, then how do you think he's operating today? He's operating the same, right? He's not going to change his methods of, of chastising us. Uh, and so, you know, every Christian will be chastised at some point in time by the Lord, but it's always going to be the same way. The example that he left us is that he always chastises us with his word. Uh, and, and in my experience, he, uh, it's always been he'll chastise me with his word. He'll bring the word to my heart, to my spirit, man. And then he'll bring a revelation of why that I failed that particular verse, you know. And, uh, and the revelation is there to get me out of where I am, to get to me to where I need to be and not to just beat me up and tell me how sorry and no count I am. Usually the devil can do that entirely without the Lord's help. Amen. Uh, and so, so I just want to encourage you, you know, that, that the, the apostle uh, John, uh, he wrote this. So who inspired John to write these words? God did, right? The Spirit of God did by the direction of the, of the head of the church. So if John is saying that I wish above all things that I may prosper and be in health, then what is the desire of the Spirit of God? The desire of the Spirit of God is that he, he wishes above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. So if John is saying it, that means that the Spirit of God is saying it. If the Spirit of God is saying it, that means that Jesus said it. And if Jesus is saying that means that the Father God is saying it. Uh, and so the, uh, the Lord God in heaven desires above all things that you as an individual prosper and that you as an individual be in health. Uh, and uh, it'll be in relation to how much that your soul prospers. Amen. How much your thinking prospers. So, so I just want to encourage you about that and um, uh, just remind ourselves that God is good. Amen. Uh, well, let's stand in and greet each other for just a minute and then we'll get we can watch you, Father. We can watch your word, watch your spirit, Father. Father, that causes our hearts to be settled and our souls to be well. 
Father, if our eyes are on you, Father, our eyes are not on the problems at hand. They're on the one who brings the solution. Father, if our eyes are on you, they're not on the sickness and disease, Father, that attacks us. But, they're, but our eyes are on the healer, Father. Father, if our eyes are on you, our eyes are not on the lack of, of funds, Father, the lack of prosperity. But, Father, our eyes are on the one who brings prosperity. So, Father, we keep our eyes on you. We keep our eyes on you, Father, from, from whom our help comes. Father, you are our very help in the time of need, Father, in the seasonal help, Father. So, Father, we keep our eyes on you. And if our eyes are on you, Father, then our souls will prosper. If our eyes are on you, Father, then all will be well with our hearts and with our minds, Father. And we'll live in peace. Father, we'll keep our eyes on you. And we'll not look to the left or the right, Father. We'll not look for assistance, Father, from the world, Father. From our intellect, from our experiences. We will look to you, Father, for our help. We will look to you, Father, for our assistance. You are the great helper, Father. You said, Father, that you were the helper. And so, Father, we rely upon you. We rely upon you, Father, for safety, for protection, for deliverance, Father, for wisdom, for guidance, Father, instruction. We rely upon you, Father. Father, we thank you. And Father, we thank you that we are the healed of God. Father, we thank you that Chris is the healed of God. We thank you that Dora is the healed of God. And Father, anyone else that's not well, Father, we thank you that we are the healed of God because we look to you. Our eyes are on you, Father. And so, Father, we thank you for complete and total recovery. You're a 100% kind of God. Father, we thank you. And Father, we just want to thank you one more time for all the wonderful things you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for all the times you've helped us, all the times that you've led us, all the times that you guided us, all the times that you took us out of harm's way, Father, and protected us by your angels. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you, Father. And Father, we give you all praise and honor and glory for these things. We thank you for the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? He's good. Amen. All the time. He's good. Uh, all the days of our lives, amen. We thank Him. It's always good to have to generally have a thankful attitude, amen, about just the Lord and, and um, you know, not in a weird, crazy, thank you, Lord, for putting sickness and disease on us. You know, that's not, uh, that's not why we thank Him, amen. And so um, we thank Miss Doris for filling in for, for Miss Chris today. And, and um, you know, it's good to... to be drawn into the presence of God. Amen. Uh, and, um, you know, really, if we could learn that same mentality, being drawn in the presence of God, you know, about half our problems should just kind of go away. You know, the Lord will take care of them. We'll, we'll not fret and worry about them. The Lord will deal with them and, and, um, uh, and there won't be much for us to do at all. Amen. Uh, and so we praise God for his goodness and kindness. Amen. Uh, and so we have been uh, studying on how to overcome and uh, we've been looking at the examples that the Lord Jesus himself has given to the church. 
uh, in the, the book of Revelation about how to overcome. And, you know, it's just been, I've been talking to the Lord about that because, you know, when you think about overcoming, people tend to think, well, we need to rebuke the devil. We need to use the name of Jesus. We need to, you know, rebuke sickness and disease and speak to the mountain and, you know, all of these things. And all of those things are true. But when he was talking to these seven churches, he didn't mention any of those. He never once talked about using the name of Jesus to overcome a devil. He never once told you to cast the devil out. He never once told you to lay hands on the sick. And that's how you overcome. Uh, the most of the overcoming that he's talking about is us really straightening up. Uh, in fact, that's really all the churches he talked about. You know, in fact, there's one uh, we'll get to it eventually. But uh, only one of the seven churches, he didn't have anything negative to say about them. All the other ones, he goes, well, you know, you got to straighten up over here. You got to straighten up over there. And um, uh, all the churches, uh, well, of the of the seven churches, only one, he had one good thing to say or, or only good things to say. Uh, but he still told them how to overcome. Uh, and then uh, the other six churches of the other six churches, uh, he had uh, five of them. He had some good things and bad things to say about them. And then one church, he, didn't ha he couldn't find anything good to say about him. Uh, and so, you know, we want to make sure we're not part of that church, right? Uh, that's the last church that uh, we'll get to there at the end there. Uh, but, you know, out of the seven churches, five of them, he had some good things to say about him, had some negative things to say about him. You got to, you're doing pretty good over here. Over here, you got to straighten up. He said, here's how to overcome. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, it just seemed good to me that if the Lord... Spent that much time, you know, two whole chapters in, in the book of Revelation to talk to the churches about how to overcome. Seemed like that'd be a pretty good thing to learn. Amen. And so, you know, I don't know if you've been enjoying this. I've been enjoying it myself because uh, I've been learning some things here uh, that the Lord Jesus uh, has told the church. And if he told the church, then they've got to be relevant for us today because aren't we part of the church? Uh, so we're part of the church. Amen. So our foundation scriptures in, in John chapter 16, verse 33 and it says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. So where does our peace come from? Comes from him, right? Did he say that you have peace because there are no tribulations? No. In fact, what's, he, what's the very next thing he says? In the world you shall have what? Tribulation. But before that, he said, in me you might have peace. So a lot of times people think my peace is dependent upon my lack of tribulation. That is not your source of peace. You know, then it's nice not to have tribulation. I mean, no, anybody looking for the tribulation? Anybody desiring tribulation? I know every now and then I meet people that got, got a martyr syndrome. Oh, my life's going to be so hard, you know. If it's not hard, I must not be spiritual, you know. Uh, that's, not, that's not got anything to do with anything. In fact, you know, I was thinking about this just in my own life. You know, some people, you talk to them and, it, and devil, devil's everywhere, right? Devil's doing this, devil's doing that. And, and you know, I go for weeks and months and you know, maybe even years where, you know, I'm not really doing anything against the devil. Uh, and, it's, and it's because I already have the victory. And he knows that I've got the victory. And, and you know, as far as me dealing with the, the, the devil specifically, uh, and, you know, I thought that, you know, I thought, well, maybe that's unusual. And then just the other day, I was listening to Brother Hagin, and he said, you know, I go for times and seasons, you know, weeks, months, and years sometimes and without ever having to deal with the devil all that much. Uh, and... and uh, you know, that's really the, the way we're supposed to live because we're supposed to be on the offense. If we're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of heaven instead of being in a defensive mode, always, you know, being beat up by the devil, always trying to, you know, uh, make it just one more day against the devil. Uh, the devil is a defeated foe. Uh, and in all of these seven churches, not a single one, he said, hey, you need to rebuke the devil. If you'll rebuke the devil, you'll overcome. He'd, seven churches. He went to seven different churches, some, some of the big churches, 
Uh, and not, not a single one of them said, you know, if you ever beat the devil, you'll overcome. Not a single one. Uh, and yet a lot of Christians' lives, you hear them, it's like, you know, especially in the charismatic circles, right? Now you get over outside the charismatic church and a lot of churches don't hardly even believe there is a devil. Uh, in fact, I was reading after one person, they had, uh, somebody had asked them a question about, hey, what's the difference between devils and demons? And, and uh, they said, well, biblically, there's really not much, you know, and that's really true. You know, there's really, this is just two different words, two different Greek words for the same thing. And they're just the, the, the you know, the, the uh, members of the enemies of God, right? Uh, and um, and so he gave a pretty good answer. But at the end of the at the end of the question, he said uh, at the end of his answer, he said, but there's no evidence that there are devils and demons in operation today in the earth. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Have you been to the earth? I mean, do you live on Pluto or somewhere like that? You know, and I wasn't mad at him, but I'm thinking, uh, I mean, do you what's that? I don't know. I mean, where did he get that from? I have no idea, but no evidence. It's like. Just look out your window. I mean, you know, did you see that guy over there? It looks like he's got the devil to me. I don't know. But, you know, uh, and so, uh, you know, the, but how much of the church doesn't believe there's much of the devil oper- operation? You know, uh, in fact, uh, we uh, uh, anybody ever heard of Keith Green? He was a singer that back in the 80s. You know, he actually died in a, in a plane accident. But but he was really more of an evangelist that uh, used song to evangelize the world. And he's got one of these songs that, uh, that said, you know, uh, nobody believes me in me anymore. You know, it's one of the greatest lies the devil has has uh, convinced the church. Nobody believes in me anymore. You know, uh, and um, you know, you're good. I'm good. We're all good. You know, there's no sin. You know, all is well. And um, you know, so the devil is a real devil. But as far as your interaction with him, I mean, he's a defeated foe. He's just a gnat. Uh, you know, a bug, something to deal with. You know, every now and then you got to get the fly swatter out and swat at him. You know. Uh, in fact, I had to, there was a bug that flew, uh, it was like a wasp or something that flew in the house. And Chris said, go get the fly swatter, you know. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, my aim wasn't really good. So, so I, you know, it took about 10 swats to get this thing. And, and um, she said, I'm glad I got up and moved, you know, because uh, uh, after you miss them the first time or two, you know, they get, start getting aggravated at you. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, you know, the devil, he's just a gnat. He's just, he really is just a gnat, just a nuisance that on occasion you've got to deal with them. But as far as inter- interacting with them every day, if you're interacting with the devil every day, you've got a devil problem. And it's, it's your, you've got a problem. It's not the devil, it's you. Uh, the, uh, Jesus said he's overcome the world. Uh, and so Jesus said, in me you might have peace. In the midst of your tribulation, you have the capacity to have peace. Now that's really a sign of a, of a spiritually mature Christian. That you look at them and go, well, that person's perfectly at peace. They must have nothing to deal with, right? That's what people sometimes will look at you and say, well, you've got no problems. You are perfectly at peace. Uh, well, no, I am perfectly at peace in the midst of all of my problems, right? In the midst of whatever's coming my way, in the midst of whatever tribulation's coming my way, I'm going to live at peace. And so as far as people on the outside, they may observe my life and your life and go, well, they must not have any problems because they are perfectly at peace. Because for the most part, Christians that are living under tribulation are falling apart every day. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, am I going to make it? I don't think I'm going to make it today. Well, that's not being at peace, is it? Being at peace is, yeah, yeah, there's an enemy. Uh, and the Bible says that, that he has prepared for me a table where? In the presence of my enemies, right? Not after the enemies are gone, now it's time to eat. While they're there doing whatever they're doing, you ought to be, I can't, I'll, I, I, I can't eat anything. I've lost my appetite. Uh, and, well, can I have your food? I'm, I'm pretty hungry, you know. I mean, you know, uh, it's it just, 
you know, the Christians need to live in a place where the Bible says we can live. That in the midst of in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of the presence of our enemies, we can be perfectly at peace. We can sleep well every night. We can eat food every day. Uh, and, and it's got nothing to do with, you know, uh, if if we live in such a way that when there's a when the enemy has come into our presence, that we lose sleep and we lose our appetites and we and we get fretful and nervous and anxious, then that person, that that thing, that event that's that's causing that has now become your Lord, has now dictated to you how you will live, that you will live in anxiety, that you will live with a lack of appetite and you have yielded yourself to that thing that now that thing is your God. And, And I know nobody forsakes the Lord Jesus, but there's many times that these events, these people get into our lives and we put them in place between us and the Lord Jesus. And that this thing now runs our life. This thing now is in charge of our life. Well, I thought that's what we called Jesus Lord for, that he's supposed to be in charge of our life. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I'm not going to worship anything. I'm not going to worship any person. I'm not going to worship any event. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to. Nothing that I deal with is worthy to be worshipped. The only thing that I found in this in all of the universe that's worthy to be worshipped is who? The Lord Jesus, right? God, the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit. They're the only ones worthy to be worshipped. Uh, and for us to put anything in between us and God is declaring that that thing is now our Lord. Uh, and I, I refuse to do that. I refuse to lose a wink of sleep over a single care. I, lose, I refuse to, to, to uh, skip a single meal because of anxiety and care. Now, you skip a meal to fast and pray, that's fine with that, right? But to skip a meal, because I, just, I just can't eat. I just can't. I've lost my whole appetite, you know. Uh, well, you know, I saw one going down the road. Go get that one, right? I mean, uh, if you've lost it, go find another one. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a shame that we as a church really are no different than the world because the world is not how they live. Things happen and they, they can't eat for days. Things happen and they, they, they can't sleep at all. Uh, well, Jesus said, in me, you might have peace, right? Now, notice the word might there, right? The might is, is, is dependent upon you. Uh, you can have it. He gave it to us, right? He said, my peace I give unto you. Uh, not as the world give I, uh, but the, he said, my peace I give to you. Uh, and so you might have peace. In the world, you, you shall have tribulation. Now, we don't really like that part of the verse, but he said, you shall have. That means it's, a, it's guaranteed there's going to be things that come into your life that's going to try to, uh, to uh, cause you to have trials and tribulations and difficulties. The greatest saints of the earth were still... You know, he said he said um, that many are the afflictions of who? The righteous, right? I mean, you know, if you're being unrighteous, I mean, as a, as a righteous person, you can still operate in unrighteous events. In fact, that's what First John 1, 9 is all about, right? If you confess your sins, he is, he is faithful and just to forgive you of sins and to cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness. So you can't even as a Christian be involved in unrighteousness, but you know, there you could go for... For like hours sometimes to not do anything wrong, right? Hopefully it's days and weeks and months. You could do things and just live a righteous life. And yet the Bible says many are the afflictions of the what? The righteous. Why? Because there's an enemy that hates us. And if he hates you, he will stir up people to come and to cause you difficulty in your life, to cause tribulation to come into your life. Uh, And Jesus said in the midst of that, when those people come, you can be at peace. Oh, you know. Uh, hey, how's it going, right? Uh, and, you know, for me, me and Chris, you know, we lived under the tribulation of, of uh, with my pastor for many years. We lived in, you know, 
many years of good times, wonderful times, days of heaven upon the earth, and we lived in many years of not so much good times, right? Uh, and, uh, but, you know, having gone through that, now, you know, I, I wouldn't give a million dollars to go through it again, but I wouldn't give a million dollars to take away what I learned either, you know? And so, you know, we learned a lot during those times. I mean, you got to learn because it's either that or, or curl up in a fetal position and cry all day long. So you might as well learn how to overcome. Uh, and so, you know, we learned how to overcome. And so now people come and they, they try to bring tribulation to our life. And it's like, you know, you're an amateur. I mean, we've been, we've been tried by professionals. You know, come back when you've got a better game, you know. I mean, you know, you're, I'm really embarrassed for you that you're such a, so, so bad at being, you know, bringing tribulation into my life. Uh, and so, because uh, from that point on, everything's downhill from here, right? Because uh, I can't imagine we would ever have to suffer that much. Uh, in fact, you know, there was a time that the Lord spoke to me in the middle of all that. He said, uh, you'll never have to go through this particular trials again. Uh, now, there may be other trials. There will no doubt be other trials that I, I have to walk through in my life. Uh, but that particular type of trial, you know, I won't have to walk through anymore. Uh, and I thank God for that. And it's been, you know, it's been that way for many years. And so, uh, but Jesus said, in the midst of your tribulation, you can have peace. Uh, so then he says, uh, if that's true, then you have the capacity to be of good cheer uh, because I have overcome the world. You know, this is one of the best verses, I think, in the whole New Testament. That just, if you, there's so much in this verse that we, if we can live to the fullness of this verse, then uh, we ought to have the capacity as the church to live a life where we're just free and happy all the time, regardless of what comes our way. Oh, you must not have anything to deal with. Uh, well, let's just swatch, swap uh, lives for a few days and we'll just see, right? Uh, and we'll see, you know, uh, just how bad it is, right? Uh, and so, you know, and sometimes I think, well, Lord, I, if I could just be them for a while, I'd straighten all that stuff up, right? Because, you know, I don't, ha I don't have drama in my life. I, I, I have no drama in my life. You know, if you go to my house, days of heaven in my house, right? I don't allow, I, I just, people want to bring drama into my life. I, I just choose to let it go on right on by, right? Uh, you know, I don't have much drama with my family, but, um, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, there, there's wars and rumors of wars, different things with people and of course, as a pastor of a church, you've got to deal with people, right? And, and you know, 99% of the people are wonderful, God-fearing, God-loving people. You know, you get 1% of the people, uh, and it's, it may not even be 1% of people. It may be half a percent of people. Uh, but, you know, uh, you think about, you get a thorn in your finger. It's the tiniest little thing, but what's the only thing you think about? That little tiny uh, thorn in your finger, right? Uh, and, um, you know, that's kind of the way it is sometimes with people in the church that, you know, just one person, but, you know, they cause so much grief. Uh, and, and, you know, I, w I wouldn't want to be them when I stand before the Lord Jesus. Uh, what did you accomplish? I, I, Lord, I caused grief everywhere I went. You know, is that, is that like a goal? Is that like a thing? But there are people who, everywhere they go, it seems like they, their goal is to cause, a, cause strife, right? Uh, and, um, uh, in fact, the Bible says where there's envy and strife, there is confusion and what? Every evil work, right? Uh, and so... Uh, when I see people that, that have envy and strife, what's going to follow them? Uh, it's going to be uh, confusion and every evil work, right? And, it, and I hate it for them because, you know, I didn't, I'm not a prophet in that sense. I just read the Word of God. Oh, there's envy and strife. So I look behind them and, oh, there's confusion and every evil work. You know, and that's, that's the way they live. Uh, and now, now, look, they will go to heaven. I'm not their judge as far as I know. They'll go to heaven, right? Uh, and, but then when they get to heaven, the Lord will be like, uh, you got to leave that envy and strife, but the chicken at the door can't come in with that envy and strife. 
well, Lord, I don't know how to deal without envy and strife, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, but they'll, they'll, you know, they'll make it, they'll make it to heaven, I'm, you know. And, and, and you know what? When they make it, I'll be glad to see them, amen. And uh, we'll have fellowship with them. You know, we may not ever have to be able to have fellowship with them on the earth. That's really up to them, not up to me. But, uh, but see, Jesus said, uh, be of good cheer. I have overcome the whole world. So what's left? Nothing. So can, he said, be of good cheer. That, so, you know, a lot of Christians are kind of neutral. You know, they're not smiling, but, you know, they're not crying either, right? So they're kind of neutral, but that's not good cheer, right? Good cheer is, man, how you doing? Lord is good. Have a great day. All is well. That's good cheer, right? Uh, kind of average cheer is, well, you know, you win some, you lose some, you know. I mean, right now we're, we're up, but, you know, who never knows? You, know, you don't know what the Lord's going to bring tomorrow, right? You never know. Uh, well, I know. He said right there what, he, what, he, what we know, that he's overcome the whole world. Amen. So uh, just, just a great verse. You know, I think it's just one of the best verses because I want to be at peace and I want to be in good cheer. Why? Because he said, uh, I've overcome it. So if it comes your way, because he said you're going to have tribulation, but when that tribulation comes, wouldn't that be part of what he's overcome? No matter what it is, when it comes your way, you go, oh, yeah, you're on the list of things Jesus has overcome because you're part of this world system. And so you're on the list of things Jesus, if Jesus overcome it, then I've overcome it. So uh, I've already won. Well, I haven't even started the battle yet. That doesn't matter. I've already won. Uh, and, you know, is that what that verse says? Are we making anything up? Are we, we twisting that verse to say something? Is, no, it, I mean, it's like a really simple verse, right? In fact, uh, you know, the simple reading of the Word of God, uh, what I like to say is simple reading of the Word of God is sufficient to understand what it means. It, you know, well, you know, there's only spiritual things. He's only overcome spiritual things. Well, is that what it says? He's only overcome spiritual things? No, it says he overcame everything, right? Uh, and so uh, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Uh, we were talking about our, our good friends at the church. Uh, I think I called it Pergamus, but I think it's pronounced Pergamus. Um, and, and so, of course, like a lot of things, you probably could find five different ways to pronounce it. But uh, uh, so here we are. Uh, uh, we, and we didn't finish up this church, so we're going to back, back and read the verses that he talked to the church at in verse 12. He says, uh, and to the angel of the church, uh, Pergamos, write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with the two edges. You know, that would put you on uh, at attention right there when you see the Lord comes uh, and says things with a sharp sword with two edges. You know, the, these are going to be very specific. Uh, and, and uh, you know, if he's saying them with a sword, they, they might cause a little pain uh, to hear these words, right? Uh, and you listen to what he says, and I can understand why he said that, he, that, uh, that uh, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and while, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, thou holdest fast my name, and hath not denied my faith. Even in, these, in those days wherein uh, Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. So, you know, at least he started out with, you know, here's a few good things. You're doing pretty good, right? You're sitting there, uh, uh, you dwell where Satan's seat is. So wherever this church was must have been the center of a bunch of uh, demonic activity. We don't know what it was specifically, uh, but it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, right? Uh, and, you know, the Lord will plant the church right in the middle of demonic activity. He doesn't care because he's overcome the world, right? Uh, and so uh, their, their church was right there in the midst of all this demonic activity. Uh, and they held fast his name. So they've got some good things going for them, right? Not denied the faith. Even when, even when as far as we know, the, this fellow uh, Antipas 
was the was the bishop of that church. Uh, and uh, we talked a little bit about how he was martyred uh, in a, a brass bull, right? Uh, that they t- put it on fire. They stuck him in this bull and they cooked him like like he was, you know, uh, um, like a roast or something, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, but, you know, there's a good chance. We don't know, but there's a really good chance that the people that martyred him were people who professed Jesus, because a lot of the martyrs uh, in the history were were martyred by people who professed Jesus. Now, you know, I don't know if they really professed Jesus as the Lord or uh, they said they were Christians. But, you know, I don't know how you take the life of somebody like that and really be a Christian. But that's between them and the Lord Jesus. He said, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, uh, again, this is the situation where inside the church, you know, the church as a whole doing pretty good, going in the right direction. But they've got people in the church that they don't want to deal with. And, and listen, uh, we've got to be careful of not turning this into a law because uh, uh, that's, what we, that's where we fail many times in the church is uh, we, we take a verse like this and we make a law. Okay, anybody's causing a problem, throw them out the church. Did Jesus say anybody is causing a problem, throw them out, out of the church? No, he's talking about this specific example here. Uh, and so uh, the answer to what should you do with people that are causing problem, the answer is, well, it depends. Well, what's it depend on? What does the Spirit of God want you to do for that person right now? Now, uh, and for me as a pastor, there has been many times when the Lord said, uh, make me aware of a situation. And I said, Lord, what, what do you want to do? He said, let it ride. In other words, just don't do anything about it. It'll take care of itself. Other things, he said, you call them up uh, uh, and, and you deal with it. Other things is you go to their house and you go talk to them. Uh, and so whatever the Lord says to do, then that's what I do. If he says, go to their house, I'll knock on the door uh, and deal with it, you know. Uh, and and uh, one person in particular, I remember the Lord, the Lord asked me a question. You know, it's, it's really odd when the Lord asks you a question, right? Uh, but um, um, the Lord asked me a question of, of, of what kind of person will this person be when you go and confront them? He asked me the question, like, well, Lord, I'm not the Lord. You're God. Why are you asking me that question, right? That's for you to answer that question. Uh, but see, for me... Uh, my answer was, well, Lord, I hope that they are a person who will repent. That's really my, that was w- really my hope, right? What kind of person will they be when, when I confront them? Uh, and, and in that particular case, uh, they didn't repent, you know. But they're still shot. They're still breathing air, right? They can still repent. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't have the answer that the Lord wanted because the Lord knew what the answer was. You know, he asked me the question, but he knew what the answer was. The answer was they should, they should be a person that repents. Uh, and so, uh, but he says, I've got a few things against you because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. So inside the church, you've got people that, uh, that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, if you remember Balaam, right, he was the one, the prophet of old, uh, that they tried to pay money to curse uh, Israel. And he almost did it, right? You remember, he, uh, he was on his way to go do it, and, and the donkey stopped him, and, and he started beating the donkey, and finally the angels showed up, and, and back the donkey spoke to him. Uh, and uh, you ever had donkeys speak to you? I've had several donkeys speak to me over the years, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, the angel uh, appeared to him, you know, uh, and um, he had to straighten up uh, because he was going to get paid to do things that were ungodly uh, because he had elevated the value of money above the things of God. Well, is that still going on in the church today, that we elevate the value of money above the things of God, and even to the point that you're cursing God? I mean, that's what, that's what he was doing, right? That, that was the, what he was getting paid money to do. 
Uh, and, uh, well, that's as relevant today as it can be. How many problems do churches have because of money? How many money problems do churches have? How many churches are going to go bankrupt because, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, and begging and crying all the time for, you know, trying to get more money out of, out of your pocket. And I remember we went to one church one time we were visiting and um, they came and received an offering. And, you know, I always do my best. Lord, you know, what do you want me to give in this offering? Uh, you know, and, and whatever he says to do, then that's what I do. I write a check or give cash or whatever it is. Uh, and and uh, so they received the offering. They left, came back, said, well, we didn't get enough offering. We're going to take up a second offering. And I'm like, well, I already did what the Lord said to do. You know, I don't know what anybody else did, but I know what, you know. And so I just let it kind of go right on by the second time. And, and, um, um, and look, you know, from my perspective as a pastor, that's 100% between you and the Lord. I mean, I can tell you what the word says. That if you give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But what, you're, what you give, what the number, what the dollar amount, that's really none of my business that's between you and the Lord. What if it's not enough? That's still between you and the Lord. What if it's a penny and, you know, I make a million dollars a month? And I give a penny. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to call you on it. I'm not going to say, you know. Now, if you come and ask me, hey, why is this happening? Uh, you know, I, if I ask you enough questions, I could probably say, well, you know, here's why. But, but um, as far as that goes, it's none of my business. And I don't, I don't make it my business. And, and because otherwise, then I have to be the judge that you are not doing what the Spirit of God said. Well, how, am I, how could I be that judge? I don't know what the Spirit of God has told you. Uh, and, and for me to judge... What, what I think the Spirit of God has said for you, you did, that you didn't give enough money, well, how do you know? Uh, you know, that's just, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I leave it all in the hands, Lord, uh, hand, hands of the Lord. I, I'm completely convinced that, that you all uh, can hear from heaven, that you don't need me to tell you exactly how much money to give every, every uh, time the offering is, is, uh, is uh, done. Uh, and so, but there's a lot of money problems in churches, right? A lot of churches uh, will, will do things because of money. Uh, and, and um, um, you know, when we first did uh, some of the renovations here at the building, uh, I called up one particular contractor, and, and uh, after we got done and everything, and, uh, he didn't tell me this before we started, but after we got done, he said, you know, I was really hesitant to do any work for you. Why, that? Why, why is that? You know, we don't even know each other. You know, he said, well, he said, churches are really bad to uh, ask for something done and then you give them a quote and they say, well, brother, you know, this is the Lord's work. You know, you got to you got to you know, you got to lose money on this job. You know, this is the Lord's work. You, you don't have a right to make any money, you know, no profit at all in the Lord's work. Uh, and, and now, look, I, I'm not interested in somebody retiring from that one job. Right. You ever got a quote? And it's like, well, that, that's really kind of crazy. Right. There's a, an obscene quote. Uh, and I've had plenty of quotes like that. Uh, but, you know, uh, why is it wrong for the church to pay somebody the, for the value of the work that they've done? Now, if somebody wants to do it for free, I mean, I'm not going to turn it away. But at the same time, you know, if, if nobody's uh, uh, walking through our door, hey, I'll do all this work for free, then, you know, why can't the church have the funds? To, I thought our God walked on streets of gold. Why can't we have the funds necessary to pay somebody the value of the work that they're doing uh, instead of manipulating them and say, well, this is the Lord's work? Well, I mean, is it, I mean, the, the people that, that are contractors, they're Christians. Aren't they doing the Lord's work? They're making a living. They're earning money for their family, right? They're tithing, hopefully, for the, at their church. Uh, I mean, they, none of my business if they are not, but hopefully they are. Um, why, why, do I have to, why do they have to be harmed for us to be blessed? And that's the way a lot of people think, that the only way I can be blessed is if you have to put out, right? Unless, until, uh, unless you have to hurt. Well, even Paul said, you know, you don't give until it hurts, right? That's not, that's not, uh, that's not godly. That's not, not, not the plan. 
So there's a lot of, lot of money problems in churches, amen? Uh, a lot, there's a lot of greed in churches. Uh, sometimes the minister gets greedy uh, and, um, you know, they want more money and more money all the time, right? Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes the people are greedy. They don't want to give. They want to use it all on their own, for their own self. Um, and so it's, it's in every area of the church, right? It's in the leadership area. It's in the, the attendance area. Uh, and, um, you know, I think we do pretty good around here. You know, we're, we, I think for a church our size, I think we've always done really well. Uh, because my faith is always that the Lord is our source, not people, right? The Lord is our source. And if the Lord wants us to do something, then we pray about it. And if he wants us to do it, then we believe God that he will uh, provide the funds to do whatever he's called us to do. And, you know, we've been going now for, you know, all these years. Uh, and uh, so far, so good, right? I mean, uh, we've been doing uh, in church for 13 years. Never, uh, never been, um, uh, never lacking funds when we needed them. I've always had the money to do everything that, that God has called us to do. So, uh, and, and I don't see any reason why that'll change, amen? Uh, and so, so, you know, it was a problem with, with, uh, 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 with they've got people in the church that uh, are uh, yielding to financial things, right? Uh, and, you know, I remember years ago, there was a fellow, he wasn't part of our church, but um, he knew my pastor. And about every, you know, every year or so, he'd call up my pastor and say, Pastor, uh, I've got a great uh, I've got a great investment and uh, you need to invest in this great deal. Best things in sliced bread. You know, in fact, there won't be they won't even sell sliced bread anymore because this is better than sliced bread. Uh, and so uh, and so he'd call me up because, you know, my pastor, he didn't know how to research stuff like that. And he called me up, and said, hey, would you check into this and, you know, let me know what you think. And so I remember there was one time that he had he had some, like like condominiums in like Belize or somewhere like that, you know, somewhere south of, of America, you know, and I got this great deal, you know, uh, best investment ever. If you'll invest, you know, all your money here, I'll make a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and the returns that he was talking about were just, you know, obscene returns, you know, 25, 30% return on your investment. Uh, and, and so I said, well, I said, Pastor, you know, number one is... Um, if that's really true, everybody would be doing this, right? I mean, if this is really true, who wouldn't be investing to get 25% of return on your investment, right? Because that's pretty good. I mean, you know, that's uh, a pretty amazing investment, right? Guaranteed, right? Guaranteed 25% return on your investment. I said, why isn't everybody, why is, it, why is it on the news every night? Hey, they've got this great investment, you know, invest a dollar and get back, you know, a dollar twenty-five tomorrow. Uh, and so I said, you know, just... It, it, in, in my mind and in my heart, both, uh, you know, my, my thoughts were run. That was, you know, every time he run. Uh, and, and so he never did invest with them, you know. And, and you know, the fellow was a deacon at his church. Uh, and, um, um, you know, now look, I don't know anything about it other than, you know, in my spirit, man, you know, all I had was run, right? And so that was my, my counsel to the pastor. And he never did in, in, invest with the fellow. Uh, but, you know, in fact, I was talking to one minister, a minister. They said, you know, uh, I've had all kinds of pastors get me to invest with them. And I've lost tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, because they just lied and said, you know, hey, this is a great investment. And I invested in it. And I said, hey, can I get my money back? Oh, there's no money. Other pastors it would, would, would lie to them. Other ministers would lie to them and, and steal their money. 
in the church. Can you believe that, right? Now, you know, now that's, that's Balaam, right? That is Balaam right there. That, that they would curse God's people for their own benefit, right? They would cause God's people to be harmed for their benefit. That's the, and, and Jesus said, I've got this thing, I've got this against you. you he said, you're tolerating these people. Now, look, you know, everybody thinks that they're going to uh, rule the world with their new invention or new thing, you know, and they may be sincere in that and just not, not wise enough to, to see, right? So we're not talking about people who just make a mistake, make a business mistake. I'm talking about people who are intentionally knowing, hey, invest with me. I ain't going to give you your money back ever, but just invest with me anyway, and, and I need your money. And I'm not planning on giving it back, but, you know, I'm not going to tell you that until after I get your money. There are people who do that in the church. I mean, they, they've been doing that. They did that 2,000 years ago. They're still doing that today. Still doing that today. Uh, and that's the spirit of Balaam, right? Uh, and he said, uh, he said that, that you have them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam and taught uh, Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. Now, the deal with Balak was... Uh, Balak was trying to figure out how do I cause the nation of Israel to stumble? How do I, how do I, because under the protection of the Lord, they're undefeatable, right? When they're in God's protection, in God's will, nobody can beat them. You got to tell me, Balaam, how do I, how do I beat them? And Balaam said, well, you know, here's how you do it. You go get all your pretty women uh, that are, that are heathens and you go get them to marry uh, into the nation of Israel and they'll be violating their covenant with God by doing that, and God will curse them, and then you'll be able to defeat them. Uh, and that's what they did, right? They, they figured out a way to defeat the church. Uh, well, that's people in the church that are doing that. How do we cause this church to fail? You know, it's amazing to me that people walk in the door of a church, and their goal is to cause a church to fail because they've got some, some God complex in their own self that, that they think that they know that they're the only ones who know anything, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people have walked in a church, in my church, you know, and said, you know, I've been thrown out of 14 churches, right? I've been to every church in town. I can't find a single one that preaches the things I want to hear. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, to even utter those words, right? I mean, you know, if I utter those words, I'd be like, uh, I, I mean, the Lord would just, I don't think he would kill me or zap me or anything like that. But I mean, it would, we wouldn't get along well for a while because he'd be like, well, it's because you're just full of yourself is why you can't find a church that preaches what you want to hear. Uh, because if you're preaching the Word of God, wouldn't you want to hear the Word of God? I mean, aren't we preaching the Word of God? We're right here in the book of Revelation, right? We're, uh, we're preaching the Word of God. Well, that's not what I want to hear. That's not really my problem. If it's the Word of God, you should want to hear it. Amen? Uh, and so, but, the, but how many people walk into a church? You know, I've had people tell me, well, you know, we don't need a structured church. You know, we need to get rid of this building and give her these chairs, and we just meet at home on a couch. You know, that's, that's church, right? That's church. It's funny, that's not, you know, Jesus went to these specific physical churches, right? Aren't these physical churches, right? He went to the, talked about these specific physical churches, right? These aren't home churches and, and just, you know, couch churches and Facebook churches. These are real churches, physical churches. churches. Uh, and so there are people in a church whose desire is to destroy, is to destroy a church. And, you know, the first thing they'll do is they'll try to get you to lose confidence in the pastor. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll whisper, hey, you know, that message right there, you know, it, it could have been a little better. That word that he pronounced, you know, it's not really uh, uh, Pergamos, it's Pergamos. You know, if he knew, if he really knew what he was doing, he, he would have pronounced that word correctly. You know, but, you know, overall, he's pretty good. But, you know, there's, he, he could do a little better, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to know, but, 
you know, how many of you all have had people whisper things to you about the, the pastor here, right? Now, have I ever said I'm perfect? Other than joking, you know, I know I say I'm perfect every now and then, right? But, you know, uh, I'm pretty close, right? Uh, well, I got one, I'm pretty close, right? Uh, and so, uh, but uh, what's that? What's that? They're wasting their words, right? <laughs> but uh, but that it'll happen, right? Now, it doesn't matter how big a church it is, how small a church it is, it's going to happen. People will walk in the door and their desire is to destroy a church, right? Uh, because the, Jesus said, you've got people right now inside your church that are doing these things, either messing with money or trying to destroy the church by figuring out how do we get this church to sin? How do we get this church to get out of the will of God and destroy it so I can put another notch on my belt? Look what I've done. And that's some, sometimes what people want. You know, they want to, you know, and they, uh, I, I mean, it's just, I never have understood it. They come to church and first thing they want to do is change everything in the church. Well, why are you even here? Uh, I mean, if it's not good enough for you, just go down and start your own church. You know, just, I mean, there's an empty building. There's a building empty right next door. You can't have it, but it's, you know, it's our building. You just, so you can't have that one. But there are empty buildings all over the place. You go start your own church and, and mess it up as bad as you want to, right? Uh, but um, I, I had somebody spend 15 minutes with ta- talking to me about how I shouldn't wear a tie. And, but they didn't say, come out and say, hey, don't wear a tie. That's unnecessary. You know, because that, that, that's like five seconds, right? And I'd be like, well, you're dumb, right? Why you, why, what's it to you if I wear a tie or not, you know? But, you know, well, you know, that person over there, you know, they're really spiritual. They're so spiritual. They do all these things. They're so wonderful. And, and you know, but, but, and they don't wear a tie. I mean... So not wearing a tie is where the anointing is at? But wearing a tie, there's no anointing in that? I mean, is there anointing in, in a piece of... It's just a piece of silk. You know, a little worm made this tie, right? Eventually, some worm a long time ago made, a, made some silk and they made this tie. Now, and is there any anointing in this tie? There's no anointing in this tie at all, right? There's no lack of anointing in this tie. It's just a tie, right? It's, just, it's, just, it's literally just a tie. But, but you know, it's, I, I wish I could get those 15 minutes of my life back that, that they... You know, hey, Pastor, can we talk to you? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and then they said, well, you know, that guy over there, he, he doesn't even use notes, you know, like you do. Uh, he, he memorizes everything he says. Okay, you know. So, what's that got to do with anything? Is, is, did God call him to be me? Am I, am I supposed to be him? Uh, I thought I'm supposed to be me. You know, and I personally, I like notes, you know. And, and um, you know, uh, sometimes there's, uh, you know, there's plenty of services the Lord should just change everything and we don't go by any notes, right? Uh, and so... Well, you know, they, they do it. They, 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 they memorize all their verses, you know. And I actually watched the person. I'm thinking, this is the worst. I mean, I don't know how, why you think this person is so wonderful, but this person is terrible. No anointing at all, you know. Now, look, I'm not going to tell you who their name was, so you don't know. But, uh, but um, uh, I mean, I, is that my goal? I want somebody who doesn't wear a tie and doesn't use notes. How is that going to help you in your life? Because, you know, what if they're, what if they're all wrong? Uh, everything they say is all wrong. Uh, you know, because everything I say with a tie on could still be wrong. A tie's not got nothing to do with nothing, right? Uh, and yet, uh, there are still people of Balaam and people who have fallen Balak uh, and trying to mess things up. Been doing that for 2,000 years. Any difference? No difference. And so what did Jesus say? You got to get rid of them. You know, the, there are times, remember, remember, even Jeremiah stood at the door one time and said, yeah, you can come in. Yeah, you, nope, can't come in. Uh, and wouldn't that be awesome? We just stand at the door and somebody, a visitor comes. Uh, what's your name? Yeah, you can't come in. Well, I, why not? Yeah, you, you smell like Balaam. You know, I just, uh, I, I don't know. You, you know, you, you, clearly you've been around a donkey somewhere recently. And yeah, nope, nope, we can't. 
Uh, there's a great church right down the street. You know, see, you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't say, we'll go to that other church right there, right? That, that would be unkind. But, uh, uh, but see, uh, there are times, and, and, you know, I was thinking in, in the many years we've been at church, um, I've never had to tell somebody they can't come to church here. I've never had to tell anybody uh, that they can't come to church here. Uh, I did get close to one person one time, and I had, uh, you know, the, the elders come to me and say, you can't do that, you know, uh, and, I'm, and I think they were still wrong. You know, I think I should have just told them to believe, you know, but, um, uh, you know, they were, they, were, they were just more of a nuisance than anything, right, uh, and uh, didn't want to change. Uh, and so uh, they weren't they didn't really rise to the level of Balaam and Balak here, but uh, they were a nuisance. And, and uh, I mean, if you don't want to change, why are you going to church? Right. I mean, you should just, just you should recognize that that if you're breathing air, that you need to change every day. Right. There's something in your life you need to do better at. And if you think that you've arrived, then then you need to to replace the Lord Jesus as the head of the church, because I mean, if you're really that good, then then just take his job, because uh, I am way un, unqualified to ever do anything like that because I've got a lot of changing I've got to do in my life, no doubt. Uh, and uh, hopefully, as humble servants of the Lord, we all think the same thing, right? That, Lord, I've got, uh, you know, now I don't think bad thoughts about me that I'm worthless, no, no good, you know, unworthy of the blessings of the Lord. I don't think that at all. But I do know, Lord, I've got plenty of changes to do because there's things that the Lord knows about me right now that he hasn't said anything to me about it. Three months from now on a Tuesday, he's going to say, hey, by the way, that right there needs to change. No doubt he's got a list of things because it's never stopped. He's always had a list of things uh, for me to change. And so, so uh, he said that, the, that they're trying to get you to commit fornication because they, they knew the only way they could get the Lord to, to uh, be against the nation of Israel is if the nation of Israel leaves the Lord, right? And so, you know, the Lord's not really against them in that sense except that, that uh, they brought it upon themselves. Uh, and so... Uh, and again, you know, uh, money is a problem in the church and fornication is a problem in the church, right? Uh, there was one time when um, uh, the Lord told Dr. Dufresne to call out, you know, people who were wife swapping. Call them out in public. Hey, you, you four right there, uh, you're wife swapping. You need to stop doing that. And, uh, you know, that really puts a big blanket, a wet blanket on the surface right there, doesn't it, right? I mean, where do you go from there? Uh, you know, how do you, you know, uh, let's all raise our hands and worship God now? I mean, I don't know, but... Um, uh, and so, um, uh, so now in this case, uh, he said, uh, uh, well, in verse 15, 15, he said, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. So now with, with, if, uh, at the church at Ephesus, you remember, he said that they had, uh, uh, in verse six there of chapter two, he said, but this thou hast, thou hast hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the Ephesians church at Ephesus had people that, that, that yielded to that particular doctrine. That doctrine was, you know, wives can be community property. You know, we just wife swap, you know, and, and you know, just there's no such thing as fornication. You know, we just do whatever we want to do, right, in, in that regards. Uh, so the church at Ephesus, no, no, we're not doing that around here. But the church at, at Pergamos said, you know, that we could be cool and hip. We can be the cool, hip church and, and do wife swapping, you know. We can be the wife swapping church, right? Uh, and Jesus said in verse 15, you also have them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So in the church, there were people who were trying to destroy the church by money, trying to destroy the church by uh, sin, uh, and then also, you know, trying to destroy the church with, the, with their violating their marriage vows, uh, 
all in the church, right? Uh, and so now in this case, in verse 16 for the church at Pergamos, uh, what he told to them is, you know, the other churches, he told them uh, several things like, like Ephesus. He said, he said, remember, repent and do. Right. Uh, then uh, then at Smyrna, you know, he told them uh, whatever he told them. There are several things to do for them. Uh, let's see if we can't find it there. Um, let's see. And Smyrna. Uh, oh, yeah. Don't fear and be faithful uh, at uh, in Smyrna. But here at Pergamos, uh, he said in verse 16, he said, repent. And that's all he told him. Repent. Uh, and so he said, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, and so, again, he's going to use his words to come and deal with things. Uh, but here, it, I mean, at the church at uh, Pergamos, uh, he just said repent. And that's a pretty strong word because that's all he told them to do. Now, this is the instructions on how to overcome is for them to repent. So. Uh, he didn't say to bind the devil of Balaam, to bind the devil of Balak, to bind the devil of the Nicolaitans. He said to repent. Uh, and by repenting, you're going to change course and direction, right? You're going to realize, hey, the course and direction we're going in is not godly. It's not the right course. I need to do that. And the result of that, the fruit of that faith act will be that you will overcome. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, uh, and this is some of the hardest things to do in church, Sometimes you've got to cut your losses, right? Sometimes if there's a person there that's trying to mislead you, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to walk away from that person. And the Lord Jesus said, here, you've got to throw these people out of the church. Uh, well, yeah, but they're big givers. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't want people to come because they're a big giver. We don't want people to leave because they're a big giver. It's, your giving's got nothing to do with your church attendance, right? Uh, and, uh, and so... Uh, but for some people, it would be really hard for them to change, right? It's going to be really hard because uh, usually these people that cause the biggest uh, ruckus in the church are the people who make themselves out to be somebody, right? Make them out to be an important person or an elder or a spiritual leader type. You know, they, they, you know they're, they're not the quiet, you know, most people at church is quiet, good members of the local church. But the, the loud, boisterous people who make themselves out to be somebody, you know, uh, well, if we leave, you know, then then then, you know, that then we're going to miss that that particular uh, person who draws all these people into church with them, you know. Uh, and, and so. Uh, but sometimes you've got to cut your losses. Uh, will, will the Lord provide after that? Well, sure, he will. Right. He always does, uh, especially if you do the will of God. He always provides. Right. Uh, and so, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've. I've uh, talked to different ministers and pastors, you know, someone said, hey, you know, they pressured the church to go buy some property. Uh, and then they leave the church, you know, after they buy the property and put it on mortgage, then they leave the church. Uh, and how many people you reckon have done that over the years? Go pressure a church to go buy a piece of property, get them into, into financial uh, constraint and then leave the church. You know, one of the biggest givers in the church and then leave the church. Uh, and you know, a lot of people have that, that uh, they'll have that, that devilish mentality. They're going to get the church in a dire strait and then, uh, and then, and then leave the church uh, high and dry. Uh, now, you know, from a past perspective, I could be jaundiced and say, well, I'm not going to depend on anybody. You know, I don't trust any of you all. Uh, but 
see, it's not about mistrusting people or not trusting people. It should be about trusting the Lord. And so you've got nothing to do with with uh, the prosperity of this church, right? I mean, in a sense you do. I know you do. But but this is the Lord's church, right? And so he's responsible for prospering this church. Not me, not you, not my tithes, not your tithes. It's the Lord's responsible for doing that. And hopefully, you know, uh, as a whole, we will do the right thing. But but uh, we can't uh, put you, put a person in, as the responsibility for the prosperity of a ministry because then then that person is the god of this church right uh the lord has to be the one responsible for the prosperity of a church uh and yet and so that happened and they lost the building and everything lost the church and had to go uh rent a hotel room uh and uh, and i believe it's because not because there's anything wrong with getting a loan i don't think there's anything biblically wrong with with getting a loan and paying paying on a mortgage and things like that i don't see anything wrong with that i think god's best is not to have that but you know i don't think it's a sin to do that uh the problem is when you look to that person to be your source right uh, so nobody can be the source for a church it has to be the lord god amen uh, and so he said repent uh, you've got to change. And, and this is pretty, pretty tough words or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Well, who's he didn't say I'm going to fight against you. Right. He said I'm going to fight against them. So who's the them? The Balaam's, the Balak's and the Nicolaitans. Right. He's going to clear out his church. He's going to get rid of all these people out of his church. He said, now you've got to do that. You as a you as the church have got to do that. You've got to be willing to do that. Uh, now, uh, the balance in these things is. We as a church always have to be careful about not wanting to shoot somebody every time they sin, right? Oh, you know, they said something against the pastor. You know, we're going to bury them. You know, maybe they were having a bad day. I don't know, right? We've got to make sure we don't make a law that if you make any mistake, we're going to bury you in the backyard, right? Throw you out of the church. Because sometimes, you know, long suffering needs to kick in on our part where we're long suffering to give somebody enough time to change, amen? But sometimes, you know, the Lord will show you that person will never change. That person will, will never get beyond, beyond where they are, and they're always going to be a, a hindrance to the church. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, now look, there's all kinds of people who attend church and may attend church for decades and never really grow in the Lord. But they're not a trouble, right? They just, they just like the fellowship. They like the food. They like the singing. You know, but as far as them uh, listening to the word and changing every day, they may never do it. But, you know, those people in every church are going to have people like that. That's not a problem, right? It's the people that are trying to, to turn, turn the course and direction of a church and a ministry to be something the Lord never intended them to be. Uh, and so, uh, so really in that, you have to be led by the Spirit of God about what to do, right? You have to do. So if troubled people come in, and, you know, in, in one sense in my heart, I do want people who've got problems to come here to this ministry because I believe the Word of God can help them. I believe the Word of God can help them straighten up and grow and, and improve their lives, improve uh, how much peace they walk in every day. And so I want people that, that, that have got difficulties to come here. Uh, you know, I don't want just perfect people to come here because then I'm unqualified, right? If all you are perfect, then what am I here for, right? Uh, and so... Uh, and last time I checked, none of you are perfect, are you, right? Uh, and so we all, we all got a long way to go. Uh, we're getting there. And so uh, so we're not going to make a law to get rid of anybody if they've got problems. We'll just, we'll see what the Lord does. Well, Lord, you know, that person's a problem uh, member of the church. What do you want it to do? 
you know, and he may say, you know, you need to repent because you've allowed them here and, and uh, you need to not allow them to come anymore. And like I said, in all these years, he's never told me to do that. But I mean, if he told me to do that, I wouldn't I wouldn't spend a nanosecond crying about it. I didn't do it uh, because he knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? Right. Because sometimes by doing that, you may cause that person to to actually repent in their own life and to straighten up. Uh, and, and so, you know, if the Lord says, I, I like what uh, what Dr. Dufresne said, he said, always do the will of God. He said, and leave the consequences of following his will with him. See, because if you actually had to do that, if you had to say, hey, you right there, you can't come to this church anymore. You know, a lot of people, oh, that'd be so hard. That'd be so mean. You know, you, you've hurt them and, and you've wounded them. And, you know, they're going to. Uh, well, you don't know that. That may be the very thing that it causes them to repent. You know, and well, Lord, nobody's ever stood at me before. You know, a lot of these people are just bullies, right? They're just plain old bullies. They were bullies when they were a kid. Now they're bullies as an adult. Uh, and they try to bully a church, right? Try to bully people in the church. And nobody's ever stood up to him. And finally, somebody will stand up to him. And, and you know, uh, in fact, you know, I've stood up to plenty of people uh, in the church that nobody's ever stood up to before. Uh, and uh, they're so used to it. And they don't even know what to do. Well, you know, I mean, nobody's ever stood up to me before. Well, I don't care. You know, you're just a human being like everybody else. Last time I checked, you hadn't died for nobody. Hadn't shed any blood for anybody. Uh, hadn't caused anybody's sins to be washed away. You're a human being like I am. And so, um, so... I'm always going to do the will of God and then leave the consequences of, of, of doing his will with him because he knows everything. Amen. And that person may be a spiritual wreck all their life. You know, I don't know, but they may also repent. So uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to lose any sleep either way over them. I'm going to pray for them and ask the Lord to bless them and speak to them and show them, you know, how to how to do right in their life. Uh, and and so uh, but I'm not going to forsake them in my own heart. So. Um, uh, let's see. We, well, we're about out of time here. Let's just real quick look at uh, uh, here in verse 17. Uh, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, he said this to every church. If you need to have an ear to hear, right? Uh, just having ears are not sufficient. You need to have an ear that can hear uh, what the Spirit, Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone and a stone... Uh, and in the stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. So he said there's value in overcoming, right? So in this case, the church was told to repent. That's how they were told to overcome, was to repent. He said, if you'll do that, then I'll give to eat of the hidden manna. Now, we don't really know what that is other than, you know, when they ate the manna, it strengthened them in the Old Testament, right? Uh, and so it's got to be something good. And I will give him a white stone, and a stone with a name written, which no man knoweth, save it he that receiveth it. And these white stones were a symbol of victory. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's going to give you a reward, just like a trophy, right? This is your white stone trophy for overcoming. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Lord does this, a lot of these things like this. Uh, and, you know, it's a stone, so, you know, what do you do with it? it you put it on a shelf, you know, you know, first place trophy for overcoming, right? Uh, and... Um, but part of it is as a testimony in your life that people can walk by and see that, oh, you, they have a white stone. That means they've overcome, right? They're a victor in their life. Uh, and the Lord does that many times in all these discussions here that he wants you to have a testimony in your life that, hey, you're an overcomer. Uh, and people need to see that you're an overcomer. And, that, and one way he does that is by giving us things uh, as a result of our overcoming and being, being a blessing to us. Uh, and so, 
So, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to overcome. Amen. It's a good thing to hear. Uh, and, and um, you know, it's unfortunate that churches have to deal with these things. But uh, are these things going on in churches today? Uh, are there people who, who coming into churches and, and got money problems and trying to, uh, are there churches that got money problems? Are there churches that are doing things that are, that are just wrong uh, in the area of sin? There's plenty of churches doing that, right? Uh, and the Lord said, you know, you need to overcome by repenting change the course and direction of your life and get rid of those particular people that are doing that and so uh, is that a law if if anybody has problems do we shoot them and bury them in the backyard no that's not a law right it's just you deal with it as necessary and if the lord says to get rid of them then what do you do you get rid of them right Uh, and so you don't harm them you don't you know uh hopefully you can deal with that in a private matter right because even if they're doing that you know unless the lord said to do it publicly uh, and he's never had me to deal with anything publicly. Everything I've had to deal with to date has been private matters uh, because they're private things for the most part. But if he said to do it with publicly, you know, you do you do with it publicly. Right. But, uh, you know, the Lord's kind and and he still does. He still love the people that are causing those problems. He does. Right. He loves them just as much as he loves you. So for us to get in hatred in our hearts against them would be ungodly. Right. And so we deal with it. We move on. Uh, and so the church, he, he said, you've got some good things going on. A few things you've got to straighten up. You need to straighten up. And if you do that, uh, I'll, I'll give you a testimony uh, of a white stone uh, with the name written on it. And um, wouldn't that be cool to have a white stone that Jesus gave you? Hey, I've got a white stone Jesus gave me, right? Uh, and uh, you know, I wouldn't sell it on eBay or anything, but it'd probably be worth a lot of money, right? And, and so... So when we pray and thank the Lord for his word. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you for the example of the churches that you've given to us. Uh, Father, there, there is no doubt thousands of churches at the time, but you picked seven out of all the churches that were on the earth at that point in time and history uh, to reveal things to us as the church today of things that we need to be careful about and warned about so we don't fall into the same traps as they did, Father. You, you wrote those things for our benefit, for our admonition, for our instruction, Father, to avoid uh, these areas of lives where these churches had fallen. And so, Lord, we thank you for your kindness to show us those things. And, Lord, by your grace and through your mercy, uh, we will avoid these, uh, these same mistakes that these churches have done, Father. Uh, if they did them, then there's a potential that all of us could uh, make these same mistakes, Father. And so uh, we'll do, be vigilant and aware and watchful, Father, to make sure that we avoid these same mistakes. And we thank you that your grace will be there to do that. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Amen. You know, uh, aren't we glad that, that the Lord wrote these things for these churches so that he doesn't have to come and knock on our door and, and say these things to us, right? I've got a few things against you. That would be some of the hardest words that you would ever hear from the Lord to say to you, right? Uh, you know, you like all the good part that he said before that, but then he, then he says, I've got a few things against you. It's like, wow, you know, uh, Lord, uh, can I leave now, right? Uh, right? After you told me all the wonderful things I've been doing? No, uh, we thank God we can, we can learn from somebody else's mistakes, right? Avoid those mistakes. And so, because the last thing you want to do is when you get to heaven, Lord goes, uh, how come you did the same things that the church at Pergamos did? How come you didn't follow their example of repenting? Well, Lord, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, it would be really hard to answer that question, right? So you think he's going to answer that, ask that question to somebody? I probably will, right? Uh, I'm just, I want to make sure it's not me, amen? 
So praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Amen. Uh, are we thankful that we get an opportunity to sow uh, finances into the kingdom of heaven? It's an honor to give. Amen. Uh, and uh, we will never beg, plead, or cry for finances around here. I'm fully convinced that the Spirit of God is well able to tell each of us uh, what we're supposed to do uh, for the ministry. Amen. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for the opportunity to give. So, Father, we thank you. That's an honor to give into the kingdom of heaven. Father, you've blessed us with the natural things. And so, Father, it's a small thing for other, Father, for us to sow those same natural things into the kingdom of heaven. We thank you that as we do that, Father, that all the, the finances that this ministry needs will come to pass, Father. We'll do everything that you've asked us to do. Uh, and, Father, we thank you that as we do that, that with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into our bosom. We thank you and praise you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, come ahead, Mr. Jared. You know, one of the things about finances, it's, it's helpful to kind of think about them in the right way. You know, if you give, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, what the number is, but, but say you give $5 into an offering and say you make $5 an hour at, at your work. Uh, that means really what you've given is you've given the Lord an hour of your life uh, to, to advance the kingdom of heaven. So you're really giving part of your life. Every time you sow finances, you're really giving part of your life to the church and doing that, right? Uh, and so and it's really a good way to think about it that way, that it's not just the money because you're really sowing your life into, into the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Uh, and, that's, and that's why you know, the Lord calls your, your offerings holy, right? That's why it's holy is because you have now exchanged part of your life uh, for the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, the pastor gives up his whole life for the church, but you give up your life for the, for the ministry as well uh, every time you sow into the ministry. Amen. Uh, and so don't forget, we have healing school today at three o'clock. Um, and um, oh, yeah. Come ahead, Mr. Jared. We did get a, a few uh, Mother's Day prizes here for all the moms. And so um, Jared's got a bag here. Uh, just rummage through that and uh, pick out something that you like. Uh, and um, uh, and then, you know, at the end of the service, if you want to barter and, and swap with somebody else, you know, uh, there aren't any wrenches or, or, or pliers in there. And there's nothing good in there like that. No power drills or anything like that. But um, um, uh, but get you something there. And uh, we just want to be a blessing to all the moms and future moms, present moms, you know, want to be moms. You know, it, it does. Uh, it's all the above. Right. Uh, and so. Uh, and um, uh, now, if you're a guy and you think you want to be a mom, you know, We'll deal with that on a separate issue. Don't take anything out of the bag, right? And so that's a whole different discussion right there, right? So, <laughs> but that seems to be pretty prevalent right now in the world, right? You know, and so all the dads want to be moms, right? It's like, well, no, we don't do that around here. So, all right, praise God. Well, be blessed. Have a wonderful weekend, Lord, and, and we'll see you at healing school.